Hello and welcome to That's Wow, That's Women of Washington. Chicago edition. I'm Erin Murray. Apologies for the brief hiatus as I stepped away to Chicago to direct I Saw My Neighbor on the Train and I Didn't Even Smile by Suzanne Heathcote at Red Twist Theater. But I did bring back a very important interview that is sadly only growing in its significance with each passing day. It seems like a pandemic, revelation after revelation of sexual harassment or worse in creative spaces and conversations. But if you're a part of the Chicago theater community, this shock and shattering of trust came screaming out of the shadows in 2016 with the publication of the Chicago Reader article exposing the depraved behavior and management at Profiles Theater. Laura T. Fisher is one of the co-founders of Not In Our House, a battle cry from Chicago's theater community summoned to create accountability and safe working conditions within the robust non-equity universe in the city. In the months that have passed since the Chicago Reader article, I have seen many message boards outside of Chicago reference Not In Our House, but it made me wonder, how many people really understand the organization, their mission, and what they provide? And honestly, do I even understand it? I know we are to be grateful that it exists, but what can non-Chicagoans do with knowing about Not In Our House? After speaking with Laura, I now know the answer to be a lot. Here we go. Hello and welcome to That's Wow, That's Women of Washington. I really can't express my excitement about the guest that I have with me, uh, Laura T. Fisher, who is an actor and an activist here in Chicago theater. Uh, do you want to say hello, Laura? Hi. We're here to talk about Not In Our House. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to this interview for weeks. And what is your, what do you say your position is? I say I'm the co-founder and the coordinator of the Chicago Theater Standards, which is the document that has emerged from the Not In Our House movement that is a tool for self-regulation in theater spaces that choose to use it. Okay, great. This is this was actually going to be my second question, but I'll ask you, ask you this now. When I was looking at the website, I noticed this uh, mentioning of the Chicago Theater Standards and Not In Our House. Right. So what is the relationship of those two? Like, is Not In Our House the the nickname of Chicago Theater Standards, or what? What are they two different entities, the same entities? Not In Our House, I mean, keep in mind, everything about all of this is very grassroots. Sure. It emerged very quickly after some serious events uh, related to sexual harassment and assault came out in our community. And so Not In Our House started as a hashtag that Lori Myers used to make a call to action on Facebook when she had heard from uh, a number of young women who had experienced assault at the hands of the same person. So many of us sat around a table and talked about what we would like to do to respond. We had a, a meeting in the community, a, a closed private meeting. Over 100 people came. And this was in 2015? It was, in okay. March of 2015. So we're coming up on three years. Wow. And at that meeting, I was asked to speak. And I spoke to the community. And at one point, to make a long story short, at one point I said, well, what would you think about writing and at the time, I referred to it as a code of conduct to use in theaters to, and I'm, you know, adding here what I've learned since, to prevent and respond 
to issues of harassment or, or dangerous issues within theater spaces because in a lot of theater spaces, particularly non-union theater mm-hmm. spaces, they don't really have anything. Not all, but many didn't have anything. So when I left that meeting that night in March of 2015, I had a list of about 10 theaters and then other you know, freelance independent artists who wanted to take part in the writing of such a document. So Not in Our House is sort of an umbrella term because Lori and others... Don Marie Galtieri have also worked very hard to offer support systems for people who have come forward with concerns. And those support systems have included free group therapy sessions or free legal advice or giving an individual an opportunity to make a legal statement before making a public statement, which mm-hmm. is very important. People should actually know that. Um, to have a legal statement in addition to a public statement well, and before? When you make a – and I'm I'm not a lawyer, sure. so keep that in mind. But, but you've played one on the stage, I'm sure. No, <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah. I have to do some inventory. Um, when a person wants to speak to the press, if they have allegations of criminal activity or illegal activity, making a statement with a lawyer – protects them from slander suits or protects them from legal action from their accuser. What what you're doing when you talk to a lawyer is you're saying, I am making a legal statement that what I am saying is true. And so they could suffer legal consequences if they make a false legal statement. So that, you know, doing so is is a good thing to do to protect oneself before for example, talking to the press. Interesting. Uh, that's fascinating. I would not have would not have known that. Um, Thank you for the opportunity to say that. To say that, that's I. I hope that someone listening to this can can go with that, um, or can that can be useful. Are there are there common misconceptions about why not in our house guidelines? And wait, should I say it like that? Do you want me to call them not in our house guidelines, or should call how, them the Chicago Theater standards? The Chicago Theater standards. Mm-hmm. So the. Are there common misconceptions about why the Chicago Theater Standards are not necessary? Like, are there organizations that have said, oh, we don't need this for X, Y, Z reasons? I'm sure there have been. And, I'm, of course, I'm not privy to private conversations. Sure. One of the priorities for me with the Chicago Theater Standards is to always recognize that it is a voluntary uh, choice for a theater to make. So, and, and at every meeting, and anybody would confirm this, I hope, I say it's, it's, it's incredibly important to me to not us them in mm. our community, to not shame companies who are not using it, to not coerce companies who are not using it, because I am not the cop of Chicago theater. There is no outside regulatory force with this document. The whole point of it is to give theaters a tool um, to use to give themselves procedures within their space to uh, walk through these difficult issues. So if a theater is not using it, it might be because they don't know enough about it. Mm -hmm. It might be because they are a fledgling organization and they're still trying to you know, get their ducks in a row before they bring something like this on. So I'm very careful to not 
try to characterize, because I certainly don't want to mischaracterize organizations that have not chosen to take it on. That said, I also want to say that there are a few misconceptions, I think, about who the document is for. Hmm. In particular, uh, some people think that it's only for non-union theaters, which is not the case. Oh, okay. There are two union theaters that are currently using it, um, the Gift Theater and a Red Orchid Theater. Awesome. And I'm talking to uh, two theater companies that are equity this week nice. who would like to take it on. And the reason why I think it's good for both non-union and union is because there are things in the document that can help theaters, particularly around sexual content, that are not articulated in the equity rulebook. I that's that's fantastic, and I can personally attest to that. I just opened a show here um, that has a moment of intimacy on stage, and what what I appreciated is that I was sent the Chicago Theater Standards, and there is a page that talks about on stage intimacy, and it gave me a checklist because I I've I've directed kissing scenes, but this involves removal of clothing, though not completely down to necessarily nudity, but definitely people are in underwear, and I felt I felt more confident about leading that rehearsal room, and also my one of my actors is 21 years old, and uh, and she's kissing someone who is, I'm not exactly sure how old he is, but he's definitely, I'd say, 10 years older than she is. And so I wanted to make sure that that, since I have to leave, I have to go back to Seattle, I want to set that, those actors up for success with each other. I want them to set set themselves up for success for just the storytelling. And then it gave me a checklist to speak to my young stage manager about, uh, you know, having a robe uh, at the ready and uh, the, and, and and checking on um, consent every single day that that scene is performed, even in performance, because those things can change. And I, I was really grateful for having that because I, I mean, that's not something that they sit you down in grad school or in undergrad and they say this is how you direct an intimacy scene. No, and there's two things that come up for me, and I'm really happy to hear that you were able to use the document and you feel like. It enhanced the experience in your production because it has been a huge priority for me for those who use the document to experience as a a win, 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 win experience. It's a win for actors, for stage managers, for directors, for producers, because if it's not, it simply doesn't work Mm -hmm. and it won't be used. Another thing that I was inspired by what you said is that It's being used, hopefully, to manifest mentorship within spaces, particularly for emerging artists, emerging companies, emerging stage managers, where a lot of artists are, when they're working in a non-union space, they're at an emerging point in their career, and to have a document to say, oh, this is how things can go, Mm -hmm. um, is exactly how it's intended to work. And, And another thing is that something that we talked a lot around the table, because there were dozens of people who worked on this document. Mm -hmm. People, artistic directors, managing directors, stage managers. Joe Drummond assisted us on the document, who has a 40-year tenure of excellence in stage managing in Chicago theater, and fight choreographers. It was really clear that we were not going to prescribe 
one way of doing things. We weren't going to prescribe a script. We weren't going to prescribe an if-then mm. flowchart. It was <laughs> simply that we wanted to say, here's a creative problem, right? What are the important things to consider when you are tackling a scene with sexual content or sexual violence or violence? And here are some of the suggestions of what you can do to make that room, uh, to provide it a safety net to do even riskier work. Because we found that, you know, creative people can come up with creative solutions mm -hmm. if they're working together. And even a, a, a large group of people with varying levels of experience and expertise might not have the exact right solution for every space. Right. Well, and I think that there's that we work in a field that we create community and we address vulnerability uh, on a daily basis and that it's easy, you know, you gravitate towards working with people that you feel comfortable with and then there might be people that join a group that you feel you, you've known so-and-so and so-and-so in your group for 10 years mm -hmm. and then there's some people who are newer and then you have this shorthand or offhand with these people that you've known for a long time right. not being aware that maybe those new people see you as a position in a position of authority or that they don't think that your jokes are funny or you know it's easy while we're busy creating community it is still possible for creatives to misread a, a situation and yeah absolutely yeah. I mean you can't even if even if everybody is the same age mm -hmm. say or this of a similar experience level when you come to somebody else's group, sometimes people feel like they don't want to ask questions or right. ask for things that might make them, might continually underscore that they're an outsider mm. or that they're new. So if the whole point of having the producer hold this document and the artistic director to stand or the director and, you know, whomever to stand together at a first rehearsal to say, even if the problem is me, I want you to go through this process to let us know so that we can do better. Right. Because if an actor was holding the document trying to go into somebody's space, I, I just don't think it would get f followed through with. Yeah, the agency has to be with the managing house. The leader yeah. needs to lead. Yeah, the leader needs to lead. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted well to said. backtrack. I know you've got questions to go to, but I wanted to backtrack. And You said that it's not something that we talked about in my grad school. I have been now to five universities talking about the document. Nice. Or maybe it was four. I've been to Northwestern, Loyola, University of Chicago, North Central College. And I have to say, unless they were sitting there silently seething, they were all incredibly um, happy and hopeful about this document. It answered questions for them, particularly... Well, not necessarily particularly, but I was inspired by the stage managers at Northwestern. Nice. Well, Barbara Butts is, an, is incredible, oh, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. And they were thankful to have another tool in their arsenal, mm. you know, another quiver in their, what, quiver bag, whatever you yeah. call that thing. Yeah, <laughs> another bow in their quiver. The quiver is the bag. Yeah, there right, we go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so to be able to walk into a space, whether the producer is using it or not, to say, here are some skills I learned from this. A theater doesn't need to be a quote-unquote Chicago Theater Standards Theater to use the document 
So a, a stage manager or an actor can learn from the document. They can read it online at notinourhouse.org and then go to the Chicago Theater Standards, read the 30-page document and yes. say, oh, now I'm aware of how things can go. If you're a stage manager to say, oh, I can use these tools of brokering consent in my room. A director can say, I can certainly use X, Y, and Z. A casting director can say, oh, they've laid out all of these disclosures for an audition notice, and I can just pick that up and use it. The document is completely free. It's also not even copywritten. Wow. <laughs> and it's intentional because the point of doing this document was not for me to make money, for me to elevate myself, it, it really is. People ask me why, why, why. They ask me why all the time. And I think I tried to spin some fancy sounding ideas mm -hmm. early on that would sort of legitimize the process. None of it's necessary. The point is to help. Mm. The point is to help to come together collectively and do something collectively that we all recognize will help. It's really no more sophisticated than that. That's very well said, and it transitions into my next question, actually. <laughs> yeah. that, so you've been doing this work since 2015, mm -hmm. and the Reader article that I read that really – I mean, I'd, I've known you – when was Mary Page? was was early in 2016. Yeah. So you've been doing this work since 2015. I met you in early 2016 mm -hmm. and was aware that you were, uh, that you were championing this work, mm -hmm. and then, to be honest – the reader article about Profiles Theater hit the national theater scene, let's be honest, right. in late 2016. And now in 2017, we have outcries from a variety of industries, including more from the theater community. And I'm aware of allegations and investigations happening in London and in Dublin. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is really starting to be investigated uh, worldwide. Uh, what does this signify to you, and why is this happening now, and what are your feelings about what you see happening now on now what is a daily basis? It's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I heard somebody on a, on a news show say, I'm going to paraphrase them, but it, it captured it for me. They said, well, the dam is broken, but we don't know where to put all the water. <sighs> Right. It's we're we're swimming in it and we're trying to keep our heads above water. I don't think anybody is, quote unquote, happy about it. It's still shocking. It's re-traumatizing. It's frightening. I think everybody's sort of looking at one another, wondering if anything is ever going to be the same. Um, I, you know, spouses are talking about it. Uh, business owners are talking about it. It's not just in theaters. It's not just in politics. Um there are very important being made about how on the lowest ends of the economic scale are really where these things are sometimes at their most treacherous because the the people on the receiving end of the abuse have the least ability to do something about it. And I'm not even sure this Me Too moment or this watershed moment is even getting reaching the the lower you know, yes levels. folks at those levels. So <laughs> My sense is that it's not going to stop. If there is a happiness in this, for me personally, the fact that this document is, you know, 85, 95% complete. You know, we're constantly working on tweaks, and we've got uh, 20 theaters using the document in Chicago. 
We get together periodically and they can contact me whenever. And we talk about what's working, what's not working. How is this wording confusing? Is it too much? Is there overreach? How can we continually really dial this document into its most useful form? So the fact that this is happening now and and we didn't wait for this moment, mm. for the overwhelming moment to say something needs to be done. Now we're gonna do something about it. It makes me feel glad that we've got a thing ready to go. Yeah. Because whenever these a new sort of wave of allegations happens, that's when I tend to get messages. That's when I tend to get phone calls. People reach out to me on Facebook or emails. I only speak confidentially with people. I am not a part of the call-out culture. And some might choose to criticize me for that. But I have found my lane that works for me hmm. and works for the theaters that in this one small way I coordinate and represent. I like to think of myself as part of a call-in culture to say, here's a tool you can use. Uh, it is designed to mentor, to make things better, not to call out us and them, create drama, more drama in our environments. So this moment of this happening in all these different industries, I may not have predicted it. I'm just very glad that our process has had three years now for us to really get this act together and be ready to offer something useful that I feel really confident about. And it can be used at any level. It could be used at multi-million dollar institutions. I've been to Washington, D.C. and made a presentation at the Arena Stage. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, through their Actors Arena mm -hmm. program. And... Um, that now they're doing their own thing. Anyway, that's a long. Answer. No, 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 no. I think that was I. That what's what's great is that I think that thank you so much. And what I've been seeing is that while it is uncomfortable, and every day that we turn on Facebook and there's a new name that's being mm -hmm. um, indicated for sexual misconduct or wrongdoing, that. I think it's there's a great Will Smith quote that I wish I had off the top of my head, but it's something that this discomfort isn't because things are breaking down, but because things are being uncovered. And so while this is a uncomfortable time, it it is arching towards progress. And I am glad that then people I'm so proud and happy that every time I see something something new develop, not in our houses frequently referenced when it comes to the theater community mm -hmm. about so that you're not just sitting there reading this article about this horrific wrongdoing and just having to shake your head and throw up your hands and say like well that's terrible and I'm glad that this is being called out but what to do there's already that that the answer the yeah. the while this is terrible we need to keep our eyes open in the meantime let's you know if you haven't already implemented these guidelines let's let's get a hold of this organization and I'm I, I do want to just add while I feel like I function best in sort of a call-in mentor type, I don't criticize the call-out culture. It's just not where I function the best. Sure. I'm fascinated by your work with Arena because one of my questions is, if someone lives in San Francisco or Seattle or Miami, far from Chicago, and is interested in a not-in-our-house slash Chicago theater standards situation, can not in our house or the Chicago Theater Standards come to that other city? 
Or is it Chicago only? Well, there is a reason I named it the Chicago Theater Standards. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, some hometown pride, some o- some ownership that our city made this, and that so that was chosen for a reason. But I, like I already said, it's online. It's free. It. We want to get it into people's hands. We want to get it, uh, you know, we want eyeballs on that document, particularly emerging artists, student artists, uh, high schoolers, parents of people whose kids are considering going into the profession, they can arm themselves with information before they start taking their kids to auditions for small theaters, right? right? Or large theaters or wherever. So the parents can say, I know how things can go. I know how things should go. And I do want to attest in front of this microphone that it is how things are going in nearly two dozen theaters in Chicago. So it's possible. I also want to say that sort of tangential to that point, I've started to realize that moving forward and sort of resonating outside of Chicago, theaters, communities, educational environments, leaders, whatever, they can look at the document and they can consider adopting, which is taking it on, adapting, which is tweaking it for their environment. You know, I never said uh, anybody cannot add to the document. So if you're doing dance, If you're doing... Circus. Yeah. I mean, there are circus elements in the document, but uh, you you can add. We don't necessarily recommend taking out the bits you don't like. Yeah. But you can adapt it. You can add to it. Or you can start anew and simply be inspired by it. Because I will say that the process of making it was valuable. Hmm. So I don't know that I would want to deprive a community from saying, well, this is what they did. We want to put it all on the table, educate ourselves. Now let's start our own. I love that, that you, as you said at the very beginning of our talk together, that what did you say in 2000, March 2015, that there was 100 people that came together to mm-hmm. have that first conversation. Yeah. And that while your document is valuable, that first 100-person-wide conversation is also very valuable, even if zero to one percent of of that particular conversation made it literally into the document those voices were heard and people were seen and recognized yes I love that that's a I I love that you point that out that's wonderful yeah thank you you say that that people are always in contact with you about suggestions to amend or improve mm-hmm. I am I am curious if there is a what what is the future is it a gradual future uh, I to be honest I have not read the full document mm-hmm. and I'm curious is there language for trans artists is that something that you see coming in on the horizon is it already there is that something that mm-hmm. you're you know what do you what is the future of not in our house and the Chicago theater standards well I'm glad you asked that because I first of all I want to say I don't think that the Chicago theater standards, Um, encompasses all elements of progress in our community or communities, right? There are other organizations that are doing very good work that has similar interests, but they might focus on different things. Like in the document itself, we, we make it very clear that we make no statement on content. We make no statement on uh, casting or hiring. But what we do have is a section on diversity and inclusion. And that is is simply to lay out 
some values like if you are if you are having a production where you're having mostly people of color in the cast that you should prioritize having parity on both sides of the table so that everyone feels like they have support in 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 what is being put on the stage by people who have a a first-hand allied experience with them which is not always the case you know and i've learned this from our communities of color who have been in in really great and progressive and important ways really loud about this in the last few years and i i read a lot of it to feel to listen and to make sure our document is reflecting some of those priorities but what we stop short of doing is saying you know it is is to get to, is to quantify what people should do because really the document is focused on how people treat each other and keeping people safe not telling theaters what they can or cannot do because there is no regulatory force outside to come in and say you didn't cast properly this we find this material um you know whatever wrong-headed we find your casting choice inappropriate we find your administrative hiring policy inappropriate because we have no legal standing in any particular organization and we made a choice not to i like so that the document the chicago theater standards is not prescriptive but aims to create a mindful environment mm-hmm. and so without having to say like in the case of this happening then do this or something like that that it's just that right just to always just be encouraging general mindfulness regardless of any labeling or lack of labeling or identification in the room is that absolutely is that, I mean yeah. I feel like the work of the Chicago Theater Standards and the Chicago Inclusion Project I see them as complementary to one another nice. the Chicago Inclusion Project isn't focused necessarily on all of the issues that the Chicago Theater Standards is focused on and vice versa. So an organization can avail themselves of the good work of either tool, of either organization. They're not mutually exclusive and they're not uh, organizationally combined. That's tremendous. That was my last formal question. Is there anything that you'd like me to ask you or or that, you know, that or did you want to put a button on anything or is there a future? Is there a, a project? Is there anything coming down the pipeline in a more formal setting for uh, Not in Our House or Chicago Theater Standards coming up? Well, um, I'll say a couple things. One is while we've touched on it, I would want to go back to uh, I hope that those listening to this understand. I would love to see bigger equity theaters showing interest in this document. That is something that hasn't happened. And because I've made a choice to not aggressively market the document, here is a formal invitation. (laughs) (laughs) That is fantastic. I love it. And you heard it here first. I'm an exclusive. (laughs) And um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Maybe I forgot. In that mic drop moment. Oh, we are, what I would like to see in the future is a a website development where the theaters that are using the document can produce or help them produce videos that get even deeper inside how a particular theater is using the document Mm. so that 
folks outside of Chicago or students or whomever can have a multi-dimensional way of experiencing the document and get to know some sh- awesome Chicago theater companies a little bit better. Yeah. Um, that is on the wish list, but that is a, um, something of expense. And we are, we're not even a 501c3. Mm-hmm. And we've chosen that for a reason. So we have to figure out how to do that. <laughs> well, that's not, I mean, it's just crowdsourcing information and support, mm-hmm. which considering, I don't know, the beating heart at this community of Chicago and how you, for better and for worse, can't open a newspaper these days without seeing Not in Our House mentioned because of the many stories that are bubbling to the surface. People are aware of your organization and they want it. And this is an opportunity for them to contribute to what they've already gotten so yeah. much value out of. So I, I I think that that's a very reasonable and exciting and participatory way to support something that people um, are already valuing. I think that's a great request. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Laura, thank you so much for thank taking time you. out of your busy time of being both an artist and an activist and being the central communication board of so many important conversations and I really can't tell you enough how happy I am to be speaking to you today and I thank you for the microphone I I really appreciate it thank you thank you Laura I'm going to put a link to the original Chicago Reader article in the show notes along with a follow-up article that was printed one year later and of course a link to the Not In Our House website I'd love to see Laura's vision of crowdsourced video come to fruition, so let's see if we can make that happen. If you haven't already, please take a moment to like the That's Wow Facebook fan page and follow me on Twitter. I'd love to have you on board. Go forth, fems. Remember to dare and do.